Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode... The philosophy of physics. The Gateway is excited to speak with Matthew Davis, a PhD student in cosmology at Queen Mary University of London. While his work focuses on inflationary physics, he has parallel interests in philosophy of physics and religion. You can find Matt on all different social media platforms discussing interesting ideas in science, philosophy, and religion. Matt, welcome to The Gateway. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Perfect. So I want to start at the beginning, as always, and and kind of get a a little bit of an insight on on who you are, where you're coming from, and and what got you into your research within a, a lot of broad different scientific areas, physics, cosmology, all of that stuff. So, so what brought you to where you are today? So, so actually it might be kind of surprising to hear that when I was studying at school, secondary school, so very early on, uh, but at a certain point, quite the way through secondary school, so year 10 in the UK, which is, I think when you're around uh, 14 or 15, if I remember correctly. Um, So around that time, I, up until then, I actually really didn't like physics. I found physics in particular quite dull, quite boring, the way it was taught. It it was taught in a way, things like different forms of energy and things going between different kinds of energy and everything to me in physics as it was taught in secondary school felt like it had all been worked out. It didn't seem like there was any room for anything interesting. It all just seemed like fairly mundane collections of facts and uh, and processes that we've uh, that we've learned about and observed. Um, there was a big bang. Universes evolved this way, and we understand how things in the solar system and the rest of the universe work. That felt pretty boring to me. I didn't enjoy learning it that much. I found it pretty uh, pretty very very mundane. Mm-hmm. Um, but then around uh, year 10, I just, I, I can't remember exactly what, how I ended up doing this, but what was, YouTube is a fantastic resource and people are really uh, um, exploring the potential of YouTube. There's so much on, so much interesting content on there nowadays. But what I found back when I was in year 10 was just a video on an experiment in quantum mechanics. Uh, pe- this is one of the most famous experiments there, which people have probably heard of, which is the double slit experiment. <laughs> and the, the description or the exposition of this particular experiment was so uh, was so counter to, to everything that I thought physics was. Uh, I thought physics was all kind of set. It had all been understood. It was finished. It was done. But watching this video on quantum mechanics, it was so weird. The particles doing strange things, not being there when you're be, uh, producing certain patterns when you're not looking at them, but producing other patterns when you do observe them. It all suddenly felt so weird, so bizarre. And, was, and it struck me for the first time that there's actually something weird going on in physics, something something that's not understood, some uh, stuff that would be very interesting to learn more about. 
So fast forward to, to now, fast forward the, the last 10 years or so since then. Um, yeah, I was, what I, what I became really interested, what I realized I think in that, uh, watching that video was that there is a lot about the world that is really not understood. And not only is it not understood, it's totally bizarre. It's so fascinatingly strange. And I really want to, it made me really want to learn uh, about what the world is made of, how it behaves and the vet and to look into some of the really deep mysteries um, in, in physics and, and beyond. And so uh, what I, uh, so when I was looking at university applications, I wasn't just interested in physics, which I, I'd, 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 look, I'd come to love through looking at things like quantum mechanics and, and, and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but also what I was mostly interested in is uh, big questions, uh, questions to do with nature of reality, of the nature of the universe. And this is something which uh, philosophy is, mm -hmm. has in history and today still is primarily uh, what it concerns itself with. Philosophy is about looking at reality and trying to work out uh, how it works, how we can understand it, uh, and answering some of the big questions um, that, that exist. Uh, so the bottom line is I'm interested in how the world works. And physics was how I came to want to learn about how the world works. But then philosophy is also the study of that. And so I like lots of different areas in philosophy and physics, uh, and then philosophy of religion, atheism, all these different areas, which are at the base of it, trying to understand how reality works. And so I have interest in all these areas. Matt, that, that's truly a intriguing mix, but I, I think, um... I think you come from a, a really cool perspective within that stuff because, again, when, when we talk about physics, I, I think, I, I mean, we make a joke, well, if anything changes in physics, literally, we're, we're going to be floating around the world now and <laughs> gravity is not going to be the same. But, but because of that assumption that, like, yes, we know everything about it. I, I think a lot of people feel like, well, there's nothing new to be found. So I'm, I'm really, I, I really enjoy that side of it. But then also, when you start getting into some of those elements, you start asking real human questions, things that like, almost those, those things of like, why are we here? And wh what's the meaning to all of this stuff? Does that get, um, is that difficult to for you is that does that open up different things or is that exciting do you kind of understand what i'm trying to get to yeah all of that it it, okay. it, open, it opens up different things but i guess what i've what i've kind of what what, what my approach is nowadays is that to me the, the scientific way of investigating questions and learning about the world seems to me to be the the surest way of of hmm. it's it's Science is essentially just another word for our best, our best uh, understanding is what is how I find it. And so what I find particularly interesting is sometimes in philosophy, it feels like it's word games. Yeah, sometimes it's not necessarily you've kind of lost all connection to the real world and you're just playing word games, which. Yeah, you, you don't you, you question whether these these mean anything and, and whether it's worthwhile pursuing them. But there's plenty of philosophy which isn't like that, and that's the that's the philosophy that I'm 
primarily interested in. It's philosophy, which really connects with what we've learned in science uh, and is, is essentially almost like proto-science. Mm. Uh, um, so, 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 so uh, something in the, the, the closest thing to, to, to science and philosophy and philosophy of physics. So philosophy of physics, when I was learning this at university, I was shocked because it almost felt more like what physics should be than uh, than what I was taught in a physics course. In a physics course at university, you're often you're, you're taught much more about how to calculate things and how to understand the mathematical frameworks. Mm-hmm. You're never really taught so much about how these frameworks were developed and the and the and the the conceptual ideas which led to their development and all the conceptual problems which are associated with them still. So, but that's what they go into in. Uh, philosophy of physics so the two main branches philosophy of quantum mechanics and philosophy of uh, space-time philosophy of relativity mm-hmm. um, and these are branches which take the cut cu- the two current uh, pillars of, of modern physics relativity and, and quantum mechanics and really ask very foundational concept uh, conceptual issues uh, foundational conceptual questions about uh, these two pillars um, and it's it's fascinating. There's there's just so much strange when you really dig deep down into it, and you're asking, say, what does it mean to move? What does what does motion mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is something that's just kind of assumed in a physics course. Well, of course things move, and we can describe it like this. But actually asking, kind of, what is motion? How can we define when something is moving and when it's not moving? Is something which. Uh, there's so much going on in the background there, which really um, gives you a much better idea of what we're trying to do in physics and how the world, what concepts the world actually operates on. So one of the so one of the YouTube channels that I uh, that, that that I have dedicated to this is called Shots in the Quark, uh, and this is specifically a channel that I devoted to. Uh, philosophy of physics specifically and one really nice pathway that i i think is is brilliant i think should be much more uh known much more widely uh is that you can really you can start with newton's laws which anyone who's done uh um anyone who's done physics to any level at school will know the newton's three laws Mm -hmm. you can start with newton's laws and just by asking very simple questions like what are you measuring your motion with respect to how are you what and and uh what counts as being stationary just by asking these very simple questions you really pick a lot of holes in 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 newton's laws and by trying to fix some of these trying to plug some of these holes where you inevitably end up at is actually a a fundamental principle of general relativity Mm. and so this is kind of you kind of got two pathways to understanding modern physics. There's the way that they do it in a physics course, which is, yeah, they'll teach you Newton's laws. And then they'll say, well, we, we found experiments that are better explained by this framework instead. That's the pathway that you take in a physics course in a philosophy of physics course, you go a different route, which is to say, okay, let's start with Newton's laws. And now let's ask, uh, let's explore why they don't actually make any sense. Let's explore the ambiguities. Let's let's explore the things that aren't defined very well. Let's explore the paradoxes. And by exploring all of these things, you actually 
end up uh, at, at, at relativity, at general relativity, and you've understood what's gone on so much better. Wow. So, uh, just, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Biash. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's, Matthew, that's, that's like a lot uh, and a super interesting, uh, funny story. I come from in Italy and I studied the classical high school. So meaning we went through philosophy and physics back then and philosophy wasn't like my best subject in school, <laughs> but, but you know, now I have a philosophy doctorate of philosophy, you know, so that's funny to me. But I, I remember one of the first philosopher we studied was Heraclitus and we like he, he was saying like Pantare, so everything flows. And, and that was one of the most fascinating thing that probably I've studied during, during that time. Uh, and I think it kind of reconnects with what you were saying now. Like it, there are two different approaches to, to both philosophy and physics. And, and probably the way you are describing like is, is less boring than the way I studied. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah. No, no, honestly, like the, the, the way you, you introduce it, uh, it, it, it's, it's much more fascinating. Uh, I just, just out of curiosity, what is your favorite philosopher or like some of them that kind of inspire your, your current work? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I haven't thought about this in a huge amount of detail actually, because the way I, so there were, there were, there were two options we had uh, when learning philosophy when I, was at, when I was at uni. And it was either to choose it by, you can either learn the philosophy by picking on particular philosophers and studying them in detail, or you could study philosophy very conceptually and studying different topic areas. And then you're hearing about lots of different philosophers who contributed to that area. So I went for the conceptual okay. route. So I, I have never really studied many particular philosophers in a huge amount of detail. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the one who, keep, who basically cropped up in almost everything uh, that you studied uh, was Hume. Mm. Hume in, uh, yeah. in virtually every uh, <laughs> different area of philosophy that I, uh, every different concept I was studying, there was some, there was some uh, relation to Hume. Causation, induction, all these different things. Hume was, always had something interesting to say about it. So David Hume's definitely mm -hmm. one that I, that I put up there as, as being, as being one that, uh, being one of the greats uh but so more recently especially for what i've been interested in which is kind of this story of of asking kind of what motion is and and going from newton's laws exploring their defects and ending up with a much better theory of motion such as general relativity the real kind of pioneer behind that and he's still going uh is uh, julian barber so Julian Barber is uh, I mean, the, the, the man's an institution of his own, really. Um, but he's I think he's one of the ones really who's kind of traced out this story of how to define motion from in Newton's mechanics and how we can do it better. And his whole program has been to try and uh, almost completely relativize motion. Okay, and get rid of all absolutes. In Newtonian mechanics, you have absolute space, you have absolute time, you have uh, absolute position, you have uh, a certain energy and angular momentum of the universe are all absolutes. Um, so what his, his program, what he's really been doing 
is go, going through this historical development of Newtonian mechanics of relativity and trying to pick apart, get rid of everything, all the absolutes. Because at the end of the day, the motivation behind this is that no, nothing physical should rely on just an absolute number. Everything physical should be relations between actually existing things. And so his current theory, which is called shape dynamics, uh, recovers general relativity in, in, in the appropriate limit, but it's a fully kind of relative theory of motion, which uh, is essentially... So his, his program is kind of like the pure... Is, is like a is, is like a pure uh, form of how our understanding of motion has developed over the last 300 400 years um so he's he's very interesting and his thinking is is fascinating to me thank you um <laughs> matt as you as you look at this stuff i want to i love your your insight and and your ability to to go into it but i i want to kind of step back within this one and, and when we're talking about quantum mechanics can you for me do do two things give me a, just kind of a, a large definition of what that is for for kind of our our listeners um and myself so i'm not trying to you know exclude myself <laughs> of ignorance um and then wh what is kind of your a lot of times within science, you'll hear people say, well, why are we investing in that? Why are we looking at that? We understand gravity. Everything's here. Who cares, right? Like, what's the next thing? So when you're looking at these things, other than answering these questions, is there, um, is there some type of a, a real world outcome you're hoping for, or at least um, within theory that could change, you know, that we're heading towards? Or does quantum mechanics fall more into that area of philosophy where we're just trying to figure out because it might answer something that then, you know, two, three generations from now can, can be looking at just like we do gravity now. Okay. Okay. So uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. There's sorry. Lot, uh, sorry, man. That's all right. Uh, so, so quantum mechanics first, first and foremost, quantum mechanics is literally just a physical theory that we have about very small things okay what we essentially realized is that our, our old classical so so when we say classical laws of physics we essentially mean that we're using certain mathematical frameworks things vary continuously they're not necessarily discrete they vary continuously we work with calculus and all these kinds of things so most so, so every large scale physical theory and every uh, theory on our human scale as well is written in as, a, as, as in uh, classical physics laws essentially what we realized last century was that um small things behave very differently uh, small things behave in a way that we can't uh describe consistently using these classical theories so what when under the broad term of quantum mechanics all it means is the kind of it essentially refers to a certain mathematical framework which um, which applies and, and which applies to and describes the microscopic world. So that's essentially all it is. It's just being able to understand the, the microscopic world. Um, now, uh, so I think I think you asked whether it's uh, quantum mechanics is philosophy or, uh, or, or whether it has practical applications. Well, quantum mechanics, uh, 
it depends how deep you go into it. So on the very surface level, quantum mechanics is essential to the running of all sorts of technologies. Um, you would not be able to, I think, I mean, computers, we would not be able to have this conversation over Zoom using mm -hmm. computers uh, if we didn't understand if, uh, if we didn't understand quantum tunneling, these kinds of things which are used in uh, these, these kind of quantum effects which are used in computers. Okay. Class classically, uh, quantum tun tunneling is impossible. Only in quantum mechanics uh, is something like that possible. So we use technology which relies on quantum mechanics all the time already, uh, but there's, all, but there's a, a lot of scope for improving um, uh, improving technology in the very near future with uh, better understandings of, of quantum systems. So, for example, quantum computers are something which uh, almost which so many different departments and so many different countries are frantically working on because uh, the potential of a quantum computer is 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 insane. It's it's so mm -hmm. much larger than a classical computer, but it's essentially just taking it's exploiting how quantum how the quantum world behaves to build a technology that's much 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 better than something that operates classically now uh so even even at the level of say quantum computers you still haven't really gotten into the real deep uh underbelly of quantum mechanics and 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 this kind of thing oh interesting uh, what so what, so what someone like myself is primarily interested in is i don't particularly care about technological applications of these ideas. <laughs> You're I'm... on the perfect <laughs> podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, not I'm personally not particularly interested in technological mm -hmm. they're, they're great, but yeah, it's not what I work on. What, I, what I'm interested in is, um, is learning about how the world works for the sake of learning how it works. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you never know where a better understanding of the world might massively improve something in the future. Perhaps mm -hmm. there's something hidden, hidden away that we haven't discovered yet that people, people don't really see why we're working on uh, string theory, but maybe there's something that crops up and, oh, there's some amazing technology. But I think that's fairly doubtful. I think that's not, and that's not why I'm personally interested in it. In it. Well, I think is, so I'm interested in learning and discovering more about these topics just for the single purpose of learning more about how the world works. But in learning about how the world works, there's a huge potential for our whole kind of um, perspective on the universe and perspective on reality to change drastically. Okay. Mm -hmm. Quantum mechanics in a way has already done this in not, not necessarily in a good way, but you can see that there's all sorts of crackpots and, and charlatans who, um, who, who mentioned quant terms in quantum mechanics and linked them to spirituality and and uh, they're essentially saying nonsense but you can see that ideas in quantum mechanics have had an effect on 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 what people are talking about mm -hmm. um what i think in particular is something that uh, would be revolutionary and could be in the fairly near future um is that i think there's 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 ever there's uh, there's good reason to believe that in the near future, there may be some very good evidence to believe that there are more universes out there than just our own. Mm. And mm -hmm. I think that that fact alone 
is something that could have a really profound effect on how we view ourselves and our place in, in reality. Um, uh, whether uh, That doesn't have any practical use, but I think that really history moves by massive changes in perception and, and mm-hmm. uh, paradigm shifts and yeah and, like and, yeah and 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 conceptually as well so in that sense learning more about the universe could lead to huge paradigm shifts in how we view ourselves and our relationship to to uh, to reality now matt when you're when you're addressing that stuff and and this is the main reason why i wanted to talk to you because again yes the the technological applications and being able to send you know pictures faster is great yes woohoo all that stuff um but but you're i'm gonna use this term and, and i'm kind of using it a little bit facetiously but you're trying to find the face of god like you know you're trying to to unlock that thing that we all, uh, at least as as humans, uh, walk around wondering about. Um, throughout history, people that try to address um, God in any way whatsoever, or shift it, or change something in a large paradigm shift, have not been received that well, at least um, throughout throughout our, our past um do you have um any of those do you have any of those experiences now or have we as as a species moved on and said you know yes I, i'm i may have a strong religious belief but i also still want to explore science do you get any pushback in in your research or do m- most people not even i don't mean to be rude but not even consider what you're doing <laughs> uh, so so yeah so in a professional, in a professional uh, sense, these things, these things aren't discussed unless you're professionally working on them. Yes. Um, so when I'm working on inflation, which has has potential to suggest that there are other universes out there, when I'm working on this kind of thing, I'm just focusing on very technical aspects, fo- <laughs> focusing on certain models, working out their their consequences deriving equations all this kind of thing it's very technical it's very uh, it's there's not any real kind of metaphysical or philosophical exploration beyond the the mathematics mm-hmm. um at, at, when we're sitting around for lunch every now and then some something some more philosophical topic comes up and mm-hmm. and physicists uh, physicists have their own unique perspective on uh on these questions and so it definitely gets discussed in a in an informal setting among mm-hmm. physicists. Um, it, 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 it depends what kind of level you're looking at. But yeah, I think um, I think I'm surprised sometimes that more people aren't very actively interested in it like I am. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm certainly the most active person that I know in in, in my sphere who uh, talks about. Uh, science and its relation to philosophy and, and its relation to, to um, philosophy of religion and atheism. I'm the most active person I know connecting the two and talking about it and, mm-hmm. uh, and producing material, producing popular level material on it. Um, I, I think people just have their own interests. And for me, yeah. that, that particular question goes hand in hand with what I care about, which is understanding what the world is ultimately. Yeah. Um, so that's a question that I'm really interested in because it's the continuation of what I want to learn about. 
Yeah. Uh, but for other people, they may they may not necessarily they may believe and and they're just happy with their belief and sticking with it, or they may not believe and they don't particularly care about the question, mm. or they have other interests like history or <laughs> or or finance that they're more interested in devoting their time to. I don't know, yeah. but for me, looking at these questions is is kind of is very natural to the kind of questions that interest me. Got it. Okay, perfect. Thank you for for that one. Now, I I want to switch more to um what I would define as reality. I'm not sure if you would. <laughs> um, but I I find it very interesting when you're when you're trying to explore literally our uh our experience for other universes, and then there are um there are different uh, professions and and researchers looking at things and and exploring different areas that that might assist you or or kind of um, open up new options. So let me explain a little bit better. Um, I'm thrilled and ecstatic about the James Webb telescope going out there and and being able to see further and in greater detail and all of that stuff. Um, How does maybe what what astronomers and and literally, uh, you know, space explorers, what they're doing, does that impact your research or is what you're doing so far beyond that, that you can only do more of the mathematical frameworks to try and do that? Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So this is, (laughs) this is some people that this is, this is what people have turned around to me and said sometimes is, ah, the James Webb telescope's gone up, aren't you super excited? And actually, my answer is, I don't really care. Yeah, okay, that's what I was going to Thank you. That's- I don't really care because what the James Webb telescope does is it, so the James Webb telescope is just an optical telescope. Yep. So it's just kind of looking in more detail at, at, uh, and further out. But I don't, it's not something that's really seeing anything new in my yeah. New in the way that I define it. For me, something new is something conceptually new. Uh, the James, James Webb Telescope is going to discover all sorts of new objects. It's all going to discover, take all sorts of new pictures. But concept, that changes nothing about my understanding of the world. It changes nothing about the concepts that I have about the world. What, what I would be much more interested in, which is hopefully only 10 years or so away, is when they send up a gravitational wave telescope. Um, ah. Because what, um, so what optical telescopes do is they, they measure light waves, um, but mm-hmm. uh, you can't get any signal at all. There's no light signals which come uh, from any time before 300,000 years after the Big Bang. So you have the Big Bang, then 300,000 years after it, you have the cosmic microwave background. And that cosmic microwave background is the first light of the universe, the first time where light waves can propagate freely through the universe. And so that's essentially a barrier up to which optical telescopes can see. You can see up to the CMB. We've taken pictures of the CMB. We've done all sorts of nice analysis of the CMB. But you can't get anything from before the CMB. Okay, There's about 300,000 years between the CMB and the Big Bang where no optical telescope is going to tell you anything. So what's much more interesting for me is when gravitational wave telescopes go up, there's no there's no similar kind of gravitational background. There's no kind of similar barrier. Uh, Gravitational wave signals can come from at any point 
earlier than the CMB uh, or nearly all the way up to the Big Bang. Um, so when a gravitational wave telescope, if it can measure gravitational wave signals coming from the very early universe, then for the first time, we've actually got some observational experimental evidence and data coming from a, a phase in the universe, which essentially we've only theorized about so far. We have, um, so what I do with inflation, so the cosmic microwave background gives some, uh, gives some constraints on certain parameters uh, of earlier times in the universe of things like inflation, but it's not any kind of, it's, it's not a direct evidence. It's not a direct signal coming from inflation. It's something that comes much later, but you can infer, you can extrapolate back to times in the early universe. What what's then much more interesting to me is if we have a gravitational wave telescope and we can detect gravitational waves which came from uh, before the CMB itself, then we've got some direct information, some direct signals finally from a period of the universe, which as I said, at the moment, we've only uh, theorized about. Wow. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, that Matthew, that was, uh, yeah, this is all super fascinating to me. And, you know, again, I, I consider myself a scientist, but after you, you start speaking, I I don't know if maybe I have to read <laughs> that. But, but, but Science, like, so, being a scientist is just being interested in this. You don't have to, <laughs> don't have to right. study it full time. But what I like, what is fascinating to me, and like I'm curious about, is how do you go about like extending the knowledge or improve your understanding of the world or on your daily basis, right? Like if, if I'm interested in I don't know a new technology or how people interact with the new technology, I try to gather data I don't know from people how they use the technology or do a survey, I do an experiment. How do you go about? Uh, extending this knowledge how do you go about extending your understanding of these things uh, when for example something like this type of telescope uh, is not is not available yet how do you move it the needle forward uh, so 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 uh, one thing that we can do and it's what we do with inflation at the moment is simply uh, we we have the certain certain mathematical frameworks which work so what what, what uh, inflation, how we work with inflation is we have, uh, so there's quantum field theory, which is our most developed theory of the microscopic world. And we have general relativity, which describes the curvature of space. And there, the, the, the massive problem in, in physics at the moment is combining these two, but you can do it to a very small extent uh, by considering what's called quantum field theory in curved space time. So this is where, um, so this is a framework which kind of with, which combines the two, but to a very small extent. But it's it's a good enough framework where uh, we can use it to 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 look at models of inflation. So, uh, I mean, on a day to day basis. Um, <clears throat> so. The, the, the framework itself is kind of set. You're working in a certain framework, but there are loads of different directions you can push the framework. You can challenge lots of assumptions. You can think about introducing different particles, different types of particles. There's all sorts of things that you can do within this framework. So what, what I do is I work in a, in a framework where I have a single, what's called a scalar particle, a single scalar particle, which is responsible for inflation. And what I 
what I essentially do is I fiddle with its um, its uh, potential its potential energy essentially. If you and if you fiddle with the potential energy, you can learn things about the various gravitational wave signals that you might see, or different kinds of objects like uh, primordial black holes, which you might get produced. Mm. So I just vary a very a very particular thing in a very particular model in this framework. Uh, and that's what all the other scientists are doing, but with different models and different and fiddling different things. So there's people who add, uh, so there's people who look at multi-field inflation. So adding loads and loads of different particles. Uh, there's people who uh, look at modified gravity, uh, modifying gravity and looking at how that might affect inflation in the early universe. So the way we actually kind of do research is we're all kind of in our little, uh, <clears throat> we go right down a, a branch of a, of a massive tree right to the end and we're fiddling something very specific in a very specific model, but as part of this whole tree, this whole framework. Um, yeah. Uh, if that answers, the, I, I think that's the question you were asking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Matt, then with, with all of these these different areas you're looking into, I, I think one popular, at least, theory that that is spread around when we're talking about reality very quickly is the the idea of a, a computer simulation <laughs> and and all of that stuff. And I love your reaction already. You're like, mm, okay, um, <laughs> you. I mean, is that in in your experience? Is that something that that you kind of consider? Or is that just more of just you know sci-fi and something fun to think about? Because there are some similarities if you extend it out, or, or is that something you think that that it could really be? So there's, there's a difference between just kind of suggesting the idea, which it's um, it's possible, it's it's consistent with everything we know. And so, yeah, sure, perhaps it's true. There's a difference between just kind of saying it as a nice idea and then actually um, exploring it as a serious idea. And some people do. It's not something that I've I've looked into particularly because I think compared to a lot of kind of beyond current understanding <laughs> Theories. It's not one that's particularly well developed, um, but people have kind of considered in a lot of detail, in academic detail, what exactly a simulation theory, what its hypothesis is, and what that hypothesis could entail for observations or um, uh, and and what we could see around us. So I think. I read the abstract of a, of a paper at some point, I think, and it was kind of, uh, I, I think people have written on kind of like randomness before and, and, mm -hmm. and, and drawing a link to randomness being some kind of indicator of whether we're in a simulation or not. Um, so, but there are serious proposals to try and say, here's an idea, what would it mean? Uh, let's explore it. Yeah. But I think compared, compared to a lot of other ideas, say like multiverse models, mm -hmm. uh, this, I think the simulation idea has not been developed very far. And the problem with it is because it's not a very well-defined hypothesis. Uh -huh. it's, not, hmm. it's, not, it's, it's, it's not that well-defined. You know, there's all sorts of different variants on it that you could potentially think of. It just kind of seems like a vague idea of we live in a computer <laughs> and something is using that computer which we're simulated on it's 
I don't, I haven't seen a lot on kind of specific, specifics to do with that. Whereas in the multiverse model, you've got specific, you've got specific models of, of, of multiverse theories. You've got eternal inflation, uh, which has been explored in, in lots of detail. Uh, or if you look at interpretations of quantum mechanics, you've got a many worlds theory in quantum mechanics, which has been developed. Uh, it's called the Everett interpretation. That's been developed hugely. And there's been schools at, uh, among Oxford philosophers and, uh, and American philosophers who have done huge amounts of work on that kind of idea. Uh, so the simulation theory is something that like I can think, oh yeah, it's a nice, <laughs> I it's, it's a nice idea, but until there's, until there's a, uh, a more, a clearer, um, until it's clearer what exactly the, the hypothesis is and what we could infer from it. Uh, it's not something that I've looked at in, in loads and loads of detail. Perfect. And, and that was very insightful. That's kind of where I was like, all right, should this be, you know, is it just fun to kind of look at or is this something that you're like, no, this is happening and we're in a computer. So thank you for putting that at ease in, in my mind. Man. Um, but as you're so a lot of times, I think your work and, and other areas within your kind of sphere um, cross over into popularity because of sci-fi and fiction and, and all of that stuff. So I, my next like two questions kind of go on this one. When you talk about multiverse and, and specifically that one, I think every single sitcom nowadays is going to have some type of an episode where there are, you know, the same you, but a you with a goatee and a you with, with, you know, a different job and all of that stuff. Um, is that kind of what the reality of that that idea is is that there there's a me living in multiple different ones or are we more saying hey there there's just different earth-like places in different universes D does that make any sense oh yeah yeah well, this, okay. the, yeah, this is something that i'm i'm really interested in because, okay um, uh this is this is something that you can explore this idea from loads of different areas okay mm -hmm. so you can explore it in physics and in cosmology and uh, the kind of cosmologist picture of a multiverse is not necessarily that there are different yous out there or, or that, there are, that there are twin Earths out there in the multiverse, mm -hmm. but simply the idea is simply that um, you get different kind of bubble universes being produced in a much larger space time. And each of these bubble universes have different values of their parameters, of their physical constants, which mean that they evolve differently. And so you've got loads and loads, don't know how many, probably a large number, maybe infinite, don't really know, uh, depends on the model. Um, but you have loads and loads of these pocket universes and what differs between them are the uh, various constants, various numbers. Mm. Um, whether there are other us's in those universes is not something that morals and physics really address. Got it. But this is something that, uh, so that we can then look at, say, a many worlds conception of, of a multiverse, um, where this, this is, so this is where in quantum mechanics, instead of, so in quantum mechanics, we have a problem, which is how do we get from superpositions of lots of different outcomes to just observing one outcome? This is a big problem in, in interpreting quantum mechanics, because quantum mechanics always tells us essentially that we should always have superpositions of lots of different outcomes. So then why do we only ever see one outcome when we do experiments and when we go about our, our lives? Well, the many worlds interpretation solves this in, in its own way by saying that all of these different outcomes just happen, they all happen, 
just that we exist in one particular branch and we exist in one particular outcome. And so in that sense, in the many worlds multiverse, it's, it seems much more plausible that there are other asses and other, other, mm -hmm. other very similar earths and other very similar circumstances, because for every quantum event that happens, all the outcomes happen. So every possible, every physically possible outcome that could happen in quantum mechanics happens somewhere in this larger multiverse. And so that's something which uh, it seems more clear that yes, you're, you're, you're probably going to find other earths, other, other, um, other yous existing, other similar people like you existing out in this wider multiverse. Now that's, both of those are from a physics standpoint, mm -hmm. but philosophy has also, has also, especially recently had something to say about this in its own way. And so what was a problem in philosophy for quite a long time was how to make sense of uh, sentences and statements like uh, it could have been this other way. Uh, mm -hmm. England could have won the World Cup in this year. Yep. Uh, how do we know whether that's true or not? Because we can't reverse time, put it forward and see different outcomes. We can't go and observe other, other, um, uh, other worlds. So how, how does this statement that things could have been another way have any meaning? Well, so what, what is common practice now in, in philosophy, this is the philosophy of modality, uh, is to interpret these, these statements as being about possible worlds. So when you're saying that uh, England could have won the World Cup in this year, what you're saying is that there is a possible world out there in which England won the World Cup. Mm -hmm. uh, and this then makes sense of, of the distinction between necessity and contingency. Something is necessary if it's true in all possible worlds. So for example, in, in maybe trying to define who I am, uh, it might be the case that there is a property that I have with all my other selves in other possible worlds, and that that is a necessary property of me. That's a necessary property of being Matt Davies to have brown eyes. Probably not, but, but mm -hmm. maybe that's, uh, that's just that's an example. Maybe mm -hmm. all my other counterparts, they all have brown eyes. And so there isn't a Matt Davis out there without brown eyes. So it's necessary that I have brown eyes. Um, so this is a, this is quite a nice framework for being able to talk about, uh, what we mean by, uh, these counterfactual statements, they're called things could have possibly being other ways. That's one way to work with them and to make sense of them. But the question that's outstanding in, in this, in this kind of picture is what is actually the status of these possible worlds? Do they actually exist? Are they actually physical existing worlds out there, which we just don't have access to? Or are they kind of, uh, are, they, are they very abstract? Are they, are they just sets? Are they just lists of propositions which are true, in, in, which, which are true and, and all the possible worlds are just all the different sets of uh, true, of consistently true propositions that you can have? So this is a debate that's been going on in modality uh, for quite a while now. And you have people who think that uh, possible worlds are actually existing other worlds. And you have people who think that they're just, uh, they're just fictions, they're just abstract ideas that, that help us to understand what we mean when we're saying certain things. Uh, so you've got three, you've got three very different ways of approaching 
or three very different understandings of the same question of are there other universes out there and what what do they contain um and so my my own suspicion is that uh if there are other universes out there then uh the philosophical sense of modality the possible worlds those possible worlds are the worlds of whatever is physically existing so in say uh, many worlds theory we have all these different universes and there are facts within them and so the possible worlds of philosophy they refer to the actual existing worlds in the many worlds interpretation that's my own suspicion that actually the philosophical idea of worlds and and not necessarily many worlds in quantum mechanics but at least some kind of physical uh, picture of many worlds um, that these will coincide and that philosophy has just gone via the route of our intuition about things could have could have been another way and physics is going a much longer route of uh, of looking at how universes are generated looking at how uh, looking at how our universe is, is generated and how that might uh, suggest that there are other universes out there. So when I asked that question, I was hoping that the sitcoms were like just making a <laughs> joke out of it. And now I'm like, oh, okay, great. Like they're actually closer to, to the reality of what research. I, 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 I did actually give a talk last week um, to a secondary school who came in. And so I was, I was talking about uh, cosmology and I briefly mentioned something many worlds. And the question I got asked was, uh, was about how, how accurate is uh, the Marvel um, yeah. <laughs> the Marvel multiverse, how accurate a depiction of, of your ideas is that? And well, the Marvel multiverse is actually a plausible, um, yeah. it's, it's relatively plausible compared to a lot of what's in science fiction. But what any what, what what any good science fiction does get right is it kind of focuses on one aspect of this idea and runs with it. Um, yeah. There's things like H.G. Wells' Time Machine. It, yes. it, took, it, took, it takes time travel and it takes a very a very certain understanding of it, a certain feature of it, and plays around with it to, 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 to no end. And that's what good sci-fi does. It takes these ideas and runs with them, but not in a kind of contrived way, but in a way that's consistent. Uh, so yeah, but what they always do is they, they focus on a certain aspect, which is, um, which is a question which philosophers and physicists alike, or certain physicists, most philosophers worry about these questions, not, all, not necessarily many physicists bother with these questions a lot of the time, but uh, they're questions that people like me uh, worry about very interested to, to look to investigate the answers to well matt i i know we're we're getting close to time here <laughs> um but i do want to and you may not have an answer to this final question um but is there a is there a piece of and, and i'm going to define it as fiction um that you turn to or, or enjoy yourself that kind of touches on that stuff? Or is it just absolutely disgusting to you to experience that you're like, I can't even look, it's so far <laughs> wrong, it's so far <laughs> off, that, that it, you've kind of ruined a whole genre for yourself because of your research, you know what I mean? No, no, I, I'm, I've, I've never been that, that kind of person that, <laughs> I, even, if, even, if, even if fiction and sci-fi plays a bit fast and loose with the concept sometimes, that's never bothered me too much. Good. Uh, so long as they do it well. Um, so uh, fiction, a book that, um, I, I, the series of books that I absolutely loved when I was growing up uh, and 
it, it, it essentially playing with ideas of dark matter and parallel universes and this kind of thing uh, is uh, his dark the, his dark material series. Uh, ah, gotcha. uh, Philip Pullman. Um, it's it. Yeah, it's all about uh, these little gateways to other parallel worlds and and dark matter being this certain kind of particle which is seeping in. I mean, these kind of things. Yeah, dark matter is nothing like that. And having little windows to other worlds is probably phys it's physically impossible. You need things like. To, to potentially get gateways to other universes, you'd need massively destructive, violent, extreme environments like black holes and things like this. So, you know, these kind of things. Physically, it's very doubtful that things can be that way. But I love the I, I love the story of going stories that consider parallel universes and exploring them and and writing a, a good narrative around them. I don't mind if the if the physics isn't spot on. What I care about is, as I said, what I think is always a good, what makes a good sci-fi, makes good fiction, is if they take a philosophical or scientific, a speculative philosophical or scientific idea and just treats it consistently and follows its conclusions to the end. There were, I don't know if um, there was one, uh, there was an anime that I, that I particularly liked called Steins Gate, uh, and this... This is a time travel story, but it's done in a it's done in a brilliant way. It's mm -hmm. they um, they start kind of tampering with little bits of the past to make uh, to to solve some problems to to make some people's lives better. Uh, but as they're doing this, more more and more of their friends are asking them to change some some event in their past, and eventually, what they end up at is that they've changed so much that actually the the present is completely different and mm -hmm. people and their friends either no longer exist or their friends are uh are, are, are doomed to die um and it it, it it just does a time travel story really well it yeah. treats it consistently it doesn't have these it doesn't doesn't do it for the plot it has an idea treats it consistently explores its consequences and makes for a very interesting uh, show, a very interesting story. Perfect. Well, Matt, I think that is an awesome place to end this conversation. I I can speak for myself, but I know Biagio's probably really enjoyed this as yeah. well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom and guidance. And <laughs> truly, uh, continue the, the work, because I think um, when you make a breakthrough, our entire uh, experience will be different. So thank you for your work and your effort in sharing it with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today. <laughs>